winding up episode 450 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Rip Rap. It is from the band The Green Reflectors. It's from their album Tune Up, which you can find at thegreenreflectors.bandcamp.com or maybe you'll run into them if you happen to be palling around Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. That's where they're based out of. They gave us permission to play their music here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and it is week three of Dan Sember 2019, where Monster Kid Radio takes a look at the genre contributions of Dan Curtis. And you can't think Dan Curtis without thinking about Dark Shadows. I think you're going to hear me say that again later in this episode when I have Dominique Lamsey's on the show to talk about the film Night of Dark Shadows. Dominique is a dear friend of Monster Kid Radio, an even more dear friend of mine, and I was thrilled to sit down and chat, or I guess Skype it up with her, about this film, which sometimes gets a little maligned and not really viewed with the same reverence that other things Dark Shadows gets viewed with. It's, it's an interesting film and an even more interesting conversation. And at some point during the conversation, Dominique and I start talking about fandom. Star Trek comes up. Star Wars comes up. There's just a really good conversation waiting for you later on in this episode. Of course, no episode of Monster Kid Radio would be complete without Kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland, where he's going to tell us how Night of Dark Shadows was represented in that iconic magazine. And Professor Frenzy, he's got another bedtime story for us. So that's all coming up and I'm eager to get to it. So here we go. How lovely they look reflected in the sunlight. Barnabas, I love to be with you. You have a way of looking at things. As if they were completely new to you. You've never seen them before. Some people live in boxes all their lives. You know, I feel I'm beginning a whole new life. And you're responsible for that life. I can't tell you how exciting it is to be with you. Barnabas Collins, vampire, takes a bride in a bizarre act of unnatural love. <coughs> House of Dark Shadows from MGM. Come see how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. It could be true, you know. There could actually be a man named Barnabas Collins, and he could actually be a real vampire. House of Dark Shadows from MGM. See how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. Out of the fiery depths of a mysterious alien planet comes the most horrifying experience in motion picture history. Never before has such a frightening, oozing mass of stark terror crept across the screen. Body Snatcher from Hell. I don't want to die! I don't want to die! 
a strange world in outer space comes this fiendish vampire satisfying his sinister and evil lust by feasting on the blood of his victims. This is Joshua Kennedy, director of Attack of the Octopus People, Dracula AD 2015, and the Vesuvius Experiment. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Enjoy. Professor Frenze, it's a show. Professor Frenze, show. Professor Frenze, it's a show. Professor Frenze, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is Zombie. It's from The Crypt of Terror, number 19, the August-September issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Johnny Craig. So sit back and relax while I tell this tale of tropical terror. Mr. King, a journalist, was the guest on Mr. Richard's Haitian Plantation. King wanted to write an article about the island. Richards had owned the plantation for only eight months. They shared drinks and discussed island life while suddenly they heard a loud drumbeat. It must be voodoo drums. Tonight is voodoo night and all of the plantation workers have gone into the jungle for their blasphemous rituals. Yeah? Cool, said King. And despite Richards' protests, he headed into the dark woods with his camera to investigate. He came upon a group of natives dancing ecstatically around a fire. What are they doing, King thought. The natives brought in a coffin and from it removed a decrepit white-haired body of an ancient-looking woman. Her skin was all decayed and clothes torn. They tied the body to a large pole and the fevered dancing increased. Before King's very eyes, the woman transformed from an ancient corpse to a beautiful blonde-haired woman. King snapped a photo, but the flash startled the natives. The dancing stopped, and the woman fell to the ground. King raced through the jungle back to the plantation, where he told Richards all about his experience. You actually saw the white zombie? asked the astonished Richards. Yes, tell me about her while I develop my photos, King replied. The plantation used to be owned by the brutal Jason Morgan. Morgan was cruel to the natives. His wife, Marie, however, was kind to them and beloved. Secretly, she used to join them in their rituals and danced with them. When a drunken Morgan caught her at one ritual, he was disgusted and shot his wife dead. Later that night, the natives took Marie's body and performed a ceremonial dance that turned Marie into the white zombie. She visited her husband, who emptied his gun into her to no effect. He ran into the woods with her in pursuit, 
However, he ran into some quicksand and was sucked into the earth. Marie followed him into the ooze. With Richard's story at an end, King was astonished. But when they looked at the photograph he developed, they found that all the dancing natives and the pole and the fire were there. But there was no white zombie. The end. I hope you enjoyed that tale of the undead. This is a creepy story. I do like a good old-fashioned zombie tale. There are adventuring journalists, brutal colonialists, and a vengeful zombie. What's not to like? The twist here is a little weak, that the zombie doesn't show up on photographs. Okay, so he can't take any proof back to his editors. It's not much of a twist. The art is terrific. The jungle is dark and ominous, and the fire ceremony looks wild with creepy shadows on the natives. King is a strapping young fellow, and Richards is a middle-aged, doughy middle manager. Marie is a gorgeous blonde, and Morgan looks like a bestial colonial brute, half-step removed from a pirate. The natives are sympathetic and aren't depicted as racist as usual for 1950. Although they provide most of the agency in the story, there isn't a single character among them. And Marie does have a touch of white savior about her. Even so, it's an enjoyable read. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics. And on the same feed, we have Memory Minute Monday, a nostalgia podcast, and Frenzy Peace Theater, where we recap and discuss classic comic book stories. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by The Tingler. I feel my search is nearing an end. At last, the collectible toy oasis. Hey, Henry! Hey, kid! What's it gonna be? Indy or Han? Dr. Tongue's I had that shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street, vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. full, the beast must die. Eight people, each one a suspect. One of you is a werewolf. You, the audience, must track down the werewolf. You must choose between eight suspects. When the film stops, guess which one is the werewolf. Watch for the werewolf break. See it. Solve it.
don't tell. The Beast Must Die. From Cinerama releasing rated PG, parental guidance suggested. The Beast Must Die. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's Dan Simber movie, Night of Dark Shadows, was given a complete cover story in Famous Monsters number 88 from January of 1972. First photos of the new movie, Night of Dark Shadows. A witch has hanged on the Collinwood estate. Evil spirits are released from coffins, doomed to roam the earth as the living dead. Exclusive preview in this exciting issue were the words that graced the cover along with a photo of the bloodied character Gerard, played by James Storm. Inside is an eight-page article which features nine photos. It begins with a somewhat detailed synopsis of the film, which stops short at giving the ending. It then goes into the history of the production. There is a story behind this latest Dark Shadows film, and this is it. June 1966. The first episode of the first gothic soap opera appears on ABC TV. It is called Dark Shadows, and no one then would have predicted how far these sinister shapes would creep. The action, and there was plenty, took place in Collinwood, an ancient house in Maine. After several months of a plot featuring sinister but natural menace, a new element was added that really caused the ratings to soar. The supernatural. A vampire entered the corridors of Collinwood in the darkly attractive form of Jonathan Frid, and dark shadows settled into a supernatural groove that attracted a fantastically varied audience in the millions. Among the most faithful of Dark Shadows fans, to this editor's certain knowledge, Fritz Lang, far-famed director of M, Dr. Mabus, The Weary Death, The Secret Beyond the Door, and many other film classics. Character actress Grayson Hall became the familiar figure of the lady doctor who contracted a case of vampiritis. That is, she fell in love with Jonathan Frid. Quentin Collins was a malevolent ghost from the past of the old house. Laura Parker was the witch who brought men to their doom. Chills and thrills were provided by the many plots of varying lengths, often via parallel time, taking place in other centuries. Worlds of If, where even more variations of the familiar characters were introduced. For a while, there was a Frankensteinian element to the episodes. At another time, a Wolfman was featured. Last year, Dan Curtis produced the first full-length film version of the TV series, and House of Dark Shadows was one of the big horror hits of the year. The 82nd issue of FM featured a 10-page film book on the movie. Early in 71, Dark Shadows, after five frightening years, finally went the way of all flesh and died. Not since the discontinuance of Star Trek did fans set up such a howl of protest. To satisfy frustrated DS fans holding their breath for more of their favorite phantoms, MGM Macabre Ghost Movies has now produced the sequel to the original. Production, appropriately enough, began with a funeral and a mausoleum. The weatherman cooperated to produce a cold and drizzly day so that the mourners had an authentically woebegone appearance. The seance scene promises to be one of the most nearly authentic ever seen on the screen, as it was supervised by a world-famous authority on psychic phenomena. When the mediumistic sequence was photographed in the dimly lit gallery of Collinwood, several takes were spoiled by unexplained raps. Ghost, 
rapping with one another? Well, that about wraps it up. What's next? Beneath the Planet of Shadows? That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. in one shock show. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. In color, rated R. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural ghoulish and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Action you've never seen races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture making Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, or it's the evil eye of the man, the man who taunts her, the man who wants her. From the bottom of the river they come. They reach for her. They demand that she dance with them at the Carnival of Souls. She is a girl driven mad by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. She whirls between the real and the unreal, trying to cling to life. I like being with you, really I do. I don't want to be alone tonight. I want to be near you. Honey. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? But she must watch herself in death. She must dance at the Carnival of Souls held just for her. For they have come for her for the last time, claiming her as one of their own. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. 
carnival of souls is the shocker of all time, guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. It is week three of Dan December 2019, and you know you can't talk about Dan Curtis during Dan December without talking about Dark Shadows. And there were two Dark Shadows movies that we care about here on the show, and we're going to talk about one of them with Dominique Lamsey's. How's it going? Great. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying Dan December and immersing myself in all things Curtis. Kind of. Awesome, yeah. As much as I can during the four episodes we have this month. Uh, Night of Dark Shadows, yeah. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about here. But I want to catch up with Dominique, see how she's doing. Uh, are you still selling stuff in the store? Are you writing? Are you, you curing cancer? What, what are you up to? <laughs> Haven't gotten around to curing cancer just yet. Ah, Dominique. I know, I know. Um, I am still writing. As of last October, I just had another Hammer homage piece called Vengeance of the Blood Princess that was released in Behold the Undead of Dracula from Muzzleland Press. Um, it is an anthology that is inspired by particularly 70s Hammer. Um, it's got a lot of great stuff in it. Honestly, it's probably mostly vampires and Satan worshippers. But a lot of people are into that. So, you know, it works. <laughs> uh -huh. And the Etsy shop is still there. House of Silent Graves. Still got my tinglers. Mothra will be back soon. I make Mothras now. So if you need a tingler, well, you probably won't get it by Christmas. But if you need a tingler, period, I got gotcha. you. So if you're looking for somewhere to spend some of that uh, holiday money you might end up with, you know, if somebody gives you a gift card, check out her Etsy shop. There you go. Yeah do that well i'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to muzzle land press as well so you can buy it directly from the publisher and get a little bit more of the uh i don't know profit i guess directly to the people who created the book instead of amazon yeah. uh, she uh <laughs> dominique is in the book as well as a number of other really cool authors some i know some i don't know but i'm looking forward to getting to know and the cover is really cool looking. The cover by, is super cool. Uh, oh, wow. Trevor Henderson did that. And I'm not familiar with his work, but I'm going to uh, try to follow it from now on because this looks really cool. Yes, it does. And it actually looks very Dark Shadowsy. It does. It does have a Dark Shadows vibe to it. A little, little gothicness there. I like it. I'll make sure, like I said, link in the show notes and there will be a picture of the cover in the show notes so you can see what we're talking about. Now, we talked about Dark Shadows with you last time, you know, last December, we've talked a little bit about how you experienced Dark Shadows, how you first came to it. You started with the 90s revival and then went back and been watching it on uh, Decades TV before they stopped carrying it. Do you have it on disc? I do not. Okay. 
I don't want this to turn into a sob story or anything, but I have spent most of my life really, really, really poor. And when you're really, really, really poor, Dark Shadows is not a can of worms you want to open as far as buying it. It's pricey. And it goes on forever. And I, I mean, the, if you buy the discs, even if you don't get a box set, like the wall space you would need is ridiculous. That's true. I know it is available on some various uh, streaming services so people can see it that way. And I wouldn't even have the DVDs that I have of it if not for listeners sending me things that they've picked up at like library sales and things like that. I totally understand. Although that box set is pretty. The the coffin with Barnabas in it. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I don't know if that's still in print or not. But if it is, link in the show notes. Use the Amazon affiliate link. I get a penny or two off of that. Just saying. Well, also, because um, I get the, the Turner Classic Movies, the the grand yearly catalog, and they're offering it in there. So it must be still on print. Okay. Well, there you go. Other than Barnabas, do you have a favorite character in Dark Shadows? Okay. I love Barnabas, but my A number one favorite character, raison d'etre for loving Dark Shadows, is Angelique. Why is that? When I was 11 years old, I wanted to be Angelique. Okay. Because that is, that is, oh my goodness. Okay. She is how I always pictured feminine power. She was the witch, but she was the awesome witch. She's beautiful. She's super talented. She gets what she wants. She's crazy dangerous. And honestly, if you really kind of think about Dark Shadows as a whole, she is the prime mover. Pretty much huh. everything that happens in the course of the show comes from her. When they needed to set something up, they brought her back. And then she would kind of fade away, and then they needed to set something else back, so they brought her back again. She was always there. She never died. She was always focused on what she wanted, and it was just awesome. You know, given her background with uh, Barnabas and all that. Yeah, I think if you look at the story and you look at the canon and kind of follow things back and follow all the connections, yeah, I could totally see that. Now, when you first discovered Angelique, though, it was through the revival, wasn't it? Yes. And who played her? Lisette Anthony. Okay. Um, She's an actress. She's actually British, and she's kind of a cult actress. Um, She was in, like, um, that stupid Cole movie from the 80s that they recently did in Rift Tracks, which I actually thought was kind of neat, but it was in no way, shape, or form good. Um, she was in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that is actually more of a reaction than I thought I was going to get out of you for mentioning that. <laughs> um, and some smaller stuff like that. I think she did some more TV also, but she never really took off. Okay. Um, she was very good at being evil. She really was. Who was she in Kroll? I don't remember that. And I loved Kroll growing up. Now, I haven't visited it in a long time, and now I'm kind of afraid to. But, huh, I didn't realize no, she was I, involved not, with not, that. Not, I don't think it's Kroll. I think it's Cole. Well, Cole was the Kevin Sorbo, Robert E. Howard adaptation. Kroll okay. is the one with the with the five-bladed star <gasps> weapon okay. thing. She, in that one, she was the princess. She was a princess in that? Yeah. Oh, okay then. Yeah, that was her. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Well, now I'll have to go back and watch it, I guess. Darn. I actually have it on DVD. I just haven't busted it out in a long time. Now, she was played by Laura Parker in the original. Yes. I like Laura Parker a lot. I I absolutely adore her. Having not seen the revival yet, uh, I I can't compare, but I have a feeling I'm going to prefer Laura Parker just because she's amazing. Well, it's kind of two different interpretations of the character. 
because Lara Parker Angelique in the original story, because it was a soap opera and they had so much more room to explore things, her character had more of an arc. So she was a little good and then she was kind of bad, but then she regretted it. But then she came back and did the bad stuff again. So there was kind of a more of a fully developed character in the revival. Lisette Anthony, she was just bad. She's evil from the get go. You're not messing with me. You're doing what I want. If you don't, there will be consequences. End of story. Okay. They both have their strong suits and they both have their weaknesses. So. And it looks like she did come back to play the character for some of the big finish audio productions, which I have yet to dive into. I'm curious to see how they continue the story of Dark Shadows now that I've got the whole thing you know, in me. I've watched the whole series. I'm really curious to see how they hold up and how they compare. Uh, and knowing that so many people that were involved with the series are involved with the audio productions is just kind of cool. Yeah. They're so willing to kind of come back to it and knowing that she's involved with some of these. Well, uh, Laura Parker, she's the one who's been doing the novels she's been writing a series of dark shadows novels recently that's great angelique's descent is really good the first one she wrote was the salem branch which was good but the the angelique one where she actually gets into angelique's like origin story was really good and that's as far as i've got i've still got to do the the quentin one and the victoria one yet i haven't read those yet well, i know i've got her uh return to collinwood i guess she didn't write that one did she never mind no i think that was um Catherine Lee Scott. Yeah, that was Maggie. Yeah. Laura Parker did contribute a chapter to Return to Collinwood, which is on my wish list right now for the holidays, which is the only reason why it's on the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> I have not read any of the other novels or anything like that. Uh, again, I just, I want to, mm-hmm. just to kind of dig back into the characters and see how they continue the story or add to the story. Because my, my impression is, is that her novels, just kind of looking over the synopsis, synopsis? The multiple, the, the, yeah. the summaries. There you uh, go. There you go. Uh, is that they aren't really contemporary. They're more like looking back at the past and maybe an alternate side timeline thing like some of the series did. Yeah. It's a little more that. Okay. Okay. The comics are really the only ones that try and like bring it now and make it contemporary with varying success. I have never seen a Dark Shadows comic. There was one, oh, it was a couple years ago. It didn't go on for very long. I can't for the life of me remember what company did it. Was it a comic book? Not a comic strip in the paper, but an actual comic book? Yeah, comic book book. Wow. Like with staples on the spine. I had no idea. Yeah. There was actually a, a Dark Shadows comic book back in the early 90s that went with the revival. Okay. And that was Innovation Comics, and that actually got me down the slippery slope of Anne Rice Comics. So that was a whole... <laughs> That was a whole thing. But the artwork was really good. The storyline was weird, but okay. the artwork was good. Something else to add to the list. <laughs> you know, because I don't have enough of that. Because, yeah, again, Dark Shadows is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. So much stuff. Dark Shadows can take over your life if you're really trying. That's not necessarily a bad thing some days. That's true. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to hang out at Collinwood. I think it'd be a nice little break from the reality. That uh, is sometimes scarier than anything Barnabas could do. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to hang out in Collinwood, but only if it's in black and white, because I really prefer Collinwood in black and white. Okay. I like the color episodes because that's the one that has the head in the box. And I always like the head in the box. <laughs> I like the color episodes. Yeah, they're good. I just, I like my things black and white. I don't know. There's just something about it. it makes it feel homier to me. Yeah, but, I can see that. You know. I'm odd that way. Although with the color stuff, you do get some, what are we talking about? 
<laughs> all over the place here. All right, Laura Parker. There was a segue I was trying to build up to because Laura Parker is in the film. Yes, she is. And that's actually why I kind of prefer this one over House of Dark Shadows. House of Dark Shadows is cool and all, but this one has Angelique. Now, this film doesn't get a lot of love when the subject of these two movies comes up. A lot of people say they like House of Dark Shadows and it's cool and, and just great. But Night of Dark Shadows doesn't get a lot of um, praise. It, it's not as loved. And I think part of it's because there's no Barnabas. I think that is actually a large part of it. Although one of the things I've learned is that you cannot underestimate Quentin fandom because Quentin fandom is actually pretty big. And this one had Quentin in it. That's true. I could see that. Chicks dig David Selby. There's a reason he keep he kept coming back. He's pretty awesome. He is pretty awesome. Give him that. Very, very cool. <laughs> uh, you know, and I had not seen the film until just the other day because I wanted to wait until we got closer to the time to record. So this was a brand new experience for me. Oh, wow. Cool. And we'll get into it, but I'll just say that I really liked it. I had some issues, but from what I understand, based on some of the research I've done, the issues were not the fault of anybody involved in the production of the film itself. Correct. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll talk about the film. We'll talk about David Selby some more and Laura Parker. But we got to play around with the Classic Five, Dominique. Sweet. Let's do it. It's, it's, we got to do it. It's an episode of Monster Kid Radio, and it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without a round of the Classic Five, which is a game that we play here on the show with everybody that comes on. It is a deck of cards here. Each card has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question on it. There are no wrong answers. They're all about classic monster movies. Dominique, are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Card number one. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to have a drink or a meal with? Uh, the Peter Cushing's Baron Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Not his Van Helsing, but his Frankenstein. Which Frankenstein? Because he, you know, different Frankensteins, different films. That's true. Kinda. Um, actually, probably Frankenstein must be destroyed. Let's go for it. Because he's probably going to kill me at the end of it, no matter what. So I might as well make it worth it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and your parts will end up in a creation somewhere down the line. You know, you're a crafter. You'll get turned into a craft. It's like the circle of life. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, card number two. Oh, this is from the Monster Bash deck. What was the most surprising thing that you've learned at a Monster Bash? Hmm. Let me think. Actually, the Monster Bash memories I keep coming back to that I feel like I tell people the most are about Sharon Moffat and her sense of humor. Yeah? Because, I mean, from the introduction to actually how she ended up coming to Monster Bash that I heard Ron Adams uh, tell on one of your Monster Bash episodes a year or two ago. And then the fact that she's, you know, so kind of conservative-ish and involved in church. But I ended up just stumbling across her a couple times over the past couple years. And she just has, like, it's not even a bad sense of humor. It's just really super mischievous. It's not what I expected. I, th I think that's that's probably... The, my biggest takeaway. I've not had any of those kinds of interactions with her, but next time she's at a batch, and I think she'll be at the next one. I think I'll so. have to check and see. I'll, oh, I'll, uh... Okay, but part two. I got I got another one that I'm going to say. Okay. Martine Bestwick. Uh-huh. Okay. You know that when she's in the movies... And she always she always just kind of exudes this like I'm in chargeness and the, and that strength. Mm -hmm. That's because she does. <laughs> like I was standing in front of her and it was just like whoa. <laughs> She's not like mean or anything like that. She's just like nope. I'm strong and I'm here. She's it in was, charge. She's in charge. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I had to tell Josh, and I think I told this on the show, I had to tell Josh Kennedy that uh, when I got done interviewing Martine for Monster Kid Radio, uh, she reached over to give me a hug and then kissed me on the cheek. And I didn't initiate any of this. She's just like, I'm in charge. That's what I want to do. Okay. <laughs> yep. uh, and I had to tell Josh that, you know, I got a kiss from his wife. But, you know, he understood since she's the one that initiated it. Again, she's probably in charge in that relationship. Okay, card <laughs> number three. Oh, Josh, I love you, man. Card number three. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock or William Castle? William Castle. Yeah, do you have a favorite Castle film? Actually, probably... Oh, my goodness. Probably House on Haunted Hill. Huh. Maybe. Okay. Although I feel like in my head there's one that I'm forgetting. No, we'll, we'll say House on Haunted Hill. House okay. on Haunted Hill. Oh, that's a Although, good one. Yeah, obviously, I do love The Tangler. That's why I was confused. I was like, really? Hmm. I know. But there's really nothing in House of Haunted Hill you can like make efficiently and sell in a craft shop, I guess. Not really. A skeleton, kind of, but you know. Well, if you do that, you got to go like the whole bore and like recreate the poster. Yeah. Exactly, but that would be like so many little pieces and everything, and shipping it would suck. Yeah. All right, card number four. I'm going to specifically pull this from the Hammer deck because of who I've got on the show. Uh, if you could have been on set during the production of any Hammer film, which one would it be? Oh, my goodness. On the set. Oh, this one's tough. Uh, you, you, you. Oh, I, actually, I'd probably go with the Gorgon. Are we just now sucking up to Josh Kennedy because we talked to him now? Is that talked about No, him? because... <laughs> Josh knows that my favorite Hammer film was The Gorgon, and oh, it was gosh. before I met him. I remember that uh, interaction now that you bring it up. Yes. Because that ended, speaking of kisses, that ended up with a kiss. Actually, yeah. <laughs> hey, Josh, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that guy. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final card. So, so it wasn't just Martine. It was him, too. Yeah, they man. That. Hey, yeah. You know, maybe he learned it from... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> this could go places. And it's not that kind of podcast. Final card. Okay. <laughs> Who else could have or should have played a werewolf? Oh, man. Um. Okay. Oof. This is where I get the shame points. Uh-oh. Because I kind of... I, I don't like werewolves. Oh, that's right. Lon Chaney Jr. played one. Henry Hole played one. Mm-hmm. Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed played one. Mm-hmm. Bela did. David David Selby played one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> who would you like to see play one? Okay, I'm trying to think of somebody who would like. I'd be okay with them playing a werewolf. Like they could play a werewolf, and I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll see that. Who about like Cushing or Lee or any of those? I don't know if Cushing could do it. I don't want to see that. No, I don't. That wouldn't work for me. Although, okay, what about like? Actually, weirdly enough, my head into my head is popping Michael Gambon because wasn't he in The Beast Must Die, and he was one of the red herrings? Uh, he might have been because he can do kind of crazy. Okay, just put put some fur on his face. That's all it takes. Just. Be crazy and put fur on your face. Oh, oh! What about Conrad Veidt? <gasps> oh, wow! Right, because he could do like makeup and he could still like emote through it. Wow! And he was the silent actor, so he had to like act with his body and stuff. Wow, that'd be amazing. There we go. That's my answer, Conrad Veidt. All right, there we go. Well, that was the classic five, and I feel great. Me 
too. Sorry about the uh, inside baseball stories there about Josh and Martin listeners, but <laughs> you know, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know, you know, they're favorites. Yeah. We, we, we love you, Josh. And Martine, if she's listening, but yeah, I know. I love Martine. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's awesome. She should play a werewolf. What do you think? Yeah, she, she could do it. She can do whatever she wants. That's true. She can do whatever she wants. <laughs> We're not going to stop her. Whatever you want to do is cool. Actually, as far as female werewolves go, yeah, she would actually probably rock it. You know, I'm going to pa- get that passed on to her somehow. I'll, I'll get a hold of Josh and ask him to <laughs> relay the message. Okay. Anyway. Come back to Collinwood, that house of dark shadows where life and death go on as usual. No! <laughs> Come with us, Angelique Collins. A witch is hanged in the garden. Prepare yourself for eternity, witch. For your earthly remains will hang here until your spirit returns to the pits of darkness. Let the devil take his own. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, Angelique Collins has departed this life. She'll be back. Funny thing about this place, I keep imagining things. A bodiless spirit consummates a 200-year-old love affair. He came from the house on the hill. She came from the grave. Death kept their love alive. From the makers of House of Dark Shadows, Night of Dark Shadows, Dan Curtis, Dark Shadows. There's Dark a werewolf Shadow. in Dark Shadows. Yes, there is. There's our connective tissue there. So, Night of Dark Shadows, like I was saying earlier, it doesn't get a lot of love and affection, and I think it's because there is no Barnabas. But wasn't it you that told me that you feel like Night of Dark Shadows is like a love letter? Night of Dark Shadows is a love letter to the fans. And what do you mean by that? Now that I've seen the film, I, I kind of see some of it, but what do you mean by that? Okay. This is the point where I say, however Derek actually wants it to be, I am going to spoil the bejesus out of this movie. We are spoiling spoilers ahead. Dracula already warned listeners. There are spoilers. I kind of can't get to my point without spoiling things. So this movie, if you actually sit, because I, th- this is a mistake that I made. I sat and actually tried to plug the events of this movie into the Dark Shadows timeline. Oh, okay. Okay. That is that is always a dicey thing to do because the Dark Shadows timeline is not clean. Mm-hmm. But with the dates that they give, there is no way this movie fits. Which means this is essentially sanctioned fan fiction. Pretty much. I don't mean that in a derogatory term. A lot of people... When you say that, they just kind of cringe and they think it's something bad. I, I don't think it is. No. 
Yeah, we, I mean, some listeners of the show, some people who've been on the show in the past write a lot of fan fiction. No disrespect whatsoever. Exactly. It's not a bad thing. But I think it hinges on the part where Angelique is drug from the tower and she's going to be hung. And she goes to Carlotta, who is at this point a child, and she says, it's your love that will keep me alive. And when I hear that, I basically hear the creators of the show talking to every fan ever. Because this show is really the first show that lasted as long as it has. This is the show that basically created syndication Hmm. because fans wanted it. they plug in their passions they plug in their love so there's all i mean there's still literary magazines of fans writing stories of dark shadows it's not just the actors and the people who were involved with the show there's a whole whole scene of just fans still creating dark shadows content and because of that the characters are never going to die and that is how it always seemed to me I think it's fascinating that you bring that up. I can see that with syndication, especially daytime syndication, mm-hmm. where another series that launched in the same year, Dark Shadows of 1966, did the same thing for primetime, and that would be Star Trek. Yeah. So I could totally see that. Uh, something I hadn't thought about regarding Dark Shadows and, and syndication. Did it get played in syndication a lot? Do you know? I'm not entirely sure. One of the Catherine Lee Scott books... The Dark Shadows Almanac. Okay. Um, I do have an older version, but there's a section in there that talks about how Dark Shadows was the first show to be syndicated for profit or something like that. Okay. Because people kept wanting to watch it, but nobody was showing it. So Dan Curtis and his people were like, hey, well, if you want to give us a little bit of money, we'll let you keep showing it. Nice. And he also, he was the one who kind of invented the idea of the actors still being paid for syndication stuff. Very important. Yeah. Very, very important. So that is something that it had over Star Trek, because I know Star Trek, uh, you know, you hear stories about Leonard Nimoy driving down the highway and seeing a billboard ad for Spock selling liquor and realizing, hey, I didn't get paid for that. So, yeah, it's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh. But I mean, also just the sheer amount of people, Monster Kid Radio listeners are among them who grew up watching the show, whether in the original or in the revival. and ended up feeling the need to go out and create these things and write things and I mean not even dark shadows related stuff but other stuff I think a lot of times people don't quite comprehend just the vast artistic imprint dark shadows put on people on the people who watched it cuz I myself when I write a female character since I was 11 every female character I write I compare her to Angelique that is my yardstick hmm. it's always in my head And I have met quite a few writers who are just like that. So just just the artisticness that it spawned, I think, is is vastly underappreciated. And I think this movie is a good peon to that. And I ask this question all the time. And I have probably even asked you, people are probably getting tired of hearing it. What is it about this particular genre that inspires us so much to create material that is part of this genre? And I can see Dark Shadows having a huge influence on on you, uh, not just in your writing, but just on you, period, you know, being a friend of yours and all, hanging out with you. I mean, I, yeah, of course she watches Dark Shadows. I mean, I, I, I can see. 
Uh, but yeah. maybe your work as well, your writing as well. I, I can see it there as well. Uh, trying to think of other people we've had on the show. You know, Steve Sullivan has his Frost Harrow series, which he says is an updated Dark Shadows. I mean, there, there are so many things that feel like Dark Shadows is part of the DNA. I got to thinking about this a couple weeks ago when I was uh, talking to Ray Garten, the author. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got to get him on the show. Because, yeah, he's a huge Dark Shadows fan. And, yeah, we were talking about how many people and what you take away from Dark Shadows. And in my experience, what he writes actually isn't that much like Dark Shadows, but it still inspired him. You know, he's a good author and he's a good guy. We met him at the Lovecraft Film Festival a couple yeah. years back. He and I keep talking about getting him on the show to talk about some of the 1970s TV movies that might fit within the MKR wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But I could totally see that. And knowing that he loves Dark Shadows and you know, 70s horror movement and such, totally see that. Makes perfect yeah. sense. Perfect sense. This film came out in 71. The series ended in 71. So this came out just a few months after the series came to an end. Yeah. That had to have been weird for audiences, I'd think, trying to reconcile the different storylines and making it all line up. Yeah. You had trouble doing it yourself, just (laughs) trying to make it fit. So with House of Dark Shadows, it is kind of a streamlined storyline. Barnabas is a vampire. He's going to turn everybody into vampires. They kill the vampire. The end. Spoiler. Uh, (laughs) Which is kind of an extrapolation, sort of, of what was happening in the show. Whereas, correct me if I'm wrong, this feels like an original story, doesn't it? It not only feels like an original story, it has a completely different vibe. Mm-hmm. I actually would compare this one closer to like a Kolchak story than a Dark Shadow story. Which, considering Curtis's involvement with Kolchak, that makes sense. Yeah. What really got me about this movie was, okay, so in House of Dark Shadows, you've got, you know, it's a big movie, so you can be a little bloodier, you can be a little more risque. Mm-hmm. The thing is, in... Night of Dark Shadows, there were a couple scenes that were way more intense and it had nothing to do with the supernatural stuff. Like that scene towards the end where Quentin is drowning Tracy. Oh, yeah. Man, that that was intense. And the, the fight between Gerald and Quentin mm-hmm. at the end, man, yeah. You would never have seen that on the show because it didn't quite fit the gothic. It was a little more 70s modern. That said, there's still quite a bit of gothic in this. Oh, yeah. Quite and there's a- still, like, supernatural stuff. Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, you can't have a witch ghost story without it. So. Yeah. Which I really appreciated. And this film really got me thinking about Collinwood. And we were talking about Collinwood earlier. I feel like there could be a, a greater for lack of a better term, shared cinematic universe where stories about Collinwood could be told that don't have anything to do with Barnabas, that don't have anything to do with vampires. And I know in the series they did. It didn't start with Barnabas and there were other stories where Jonathan Frid wasn't involved at all. And I, and I, I get that. But I feel like this movie shows or proves that Collinwood is fertile ground for all kinds of different spooky stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think kind of what the important thing about what this movie did is it sent Collinwood into the future so that you can have the supernatural things that make Collinwood Collinwood, but you can have more modern edgy stuff Mm -hmm. like the fancy cars and the car chases and just (laughs) stuff like that. Well, you got it. You got a film budget here instead of a TV budget. So you can do a little bit more. You can go outside and do a lot of stuff in the, in the daylight. But I felt like the cast as big as some of the stuff is in this film is the cast feels smaller. There's a sense of intimacy to what's going on in the story itself and and what's happening on screen. 
even though it is a bigger budget production than what you did on television. And I really enjoyed that. It felt cozier to me. Okay, the funny thing is, this is going to seem like really random to people, but I promise there is a reason for it. The beginning of this movie actually kind of reminded me of part of Rashomon, the Akira Kurosawa movie. <laughs> okay. Okay, I promise, I promise, I promise there's a point here. Like in Rashomon, there's a wife and the husband gets murdered and basically you have to determine how the husband got murdered by this bandit guy. But the movie starts with a woodcutter going into a forest to cut wood. And it's this really long extended scene of him just walking through the forest. And the reason that scene is there is to sort of place all the action that comes next outside the context of reality. You're leaving reality behind. And that's what it felt like to me was happening during the driving scene at the beginning. Because they're driving and they're driving and they're driving. Oh, look, here's this house. Here's this house. And they're just driving and driving and driving. And that gives Collinwood this feeling of being out there on its own. And the fact that it's, like you say, it's so small. There's what, like six people in the cast? Yeah. Just this tiny little group of people isolated out in the middle of nowhere. So this it gives it sort of this great unreality. This is not connected to the outside world. This is its own thing if that makes any sense. Uh, it makes perfect sense and a great way to put it. Again, we, we have the, the bit at the very beginning of the film that you know, back in whatever year it was where they're talking about the witch and all that. But when we are brought into modern day, or at least modern for the time of the film being produced, you're right, we're going to Collinwood. And after you get to Collinwood, nothing else matters. You're, you're there. That's where things are going to happen. It's outside of the realm of the real buckle up. And you're probably not going to get out. Yeah. And probably not going to make it out. And even there, because there are scenes that are not at Collinwood, like in the greenhouse and at the little cemetery. But even those, it feels like there's pains to be made that there is nothing else nearby. They're all isolated. Yeah. Which, I mean, you got to do with a horror film, right? Isolate your characters. It makes sense. That's what they do. But the way it's handled here is so well done. Absolutely. Standout performances for you, Laura Parker, I'm guessing. Obviously, yeah. I am also a big fan of John Carlin. He was great in this, wasn't he? Well, for my money, he was the best actor in Dark Shadows, period. Wow. But yeah, he was really good in this. I don't know. I almost feel like there was there was like Angelique and David Selby as Quentin, who, who was good, but I feel like he was just playing Quentin again. It didn't actually feel like anything special for me. And then John Carlin, I kind of feel like those were the only three entities in the movie. No, because even... Even uh, Grayson Hall as Carlotta was just kind of there to be bossed around. Everybody else was just kind of a set piece. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe with Grayson Hall as well, that she was just, she was there. And maybe if they made another film, she would have something bigger to do while somebody else went into the background. You know, it had that kind of theatrical troupe kind of feel to me to where this just happened to be the role they were casted in this time around. Stay tuned for the next one where she's got a bigger role. That's just kind of the vibe that I got. Granted, there wasn't a third film. I wish there was. I would wish there were tons of films uh, about Collinwood, especially if they're going to be told like this, where they're not so tied into the continuity and the canon that was presented by the series or even the previous film. This is something totally different and that's okay. I want to go to Collinwood and hear more stories about characters that I've never met before. It might be played Mm -hmm. by somebody we've already met, but characters we've never met before. I I think John Carlin's character in this, man, why didn't we see that character before? I like that guy. Right? Yeah, he's great. He was great. And Nancy Barrett didn't bug me. (laughs) And and sometimes she really bugs me. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I can agree with that, actually. Caroline gets on my nerves, too. Uh, oh, I mean, she got better. Yeah. But yeah, in the beginning. But I think for Carlotta, actually, because I kind of liked Grayson Hall in that role. Mm-hmm. But her character was, her character, I think, was supposed to be kind of a doll. Because Carlotta was around to serve Angelique. Right. She was Angelique's vessel. That's all she was. She wasn't supposed to do anything else. And it's kind of the same with Gerard. He was there to do as he was told. Which, in storytelling terms, that that can be a good character. And I think that is something we lost when MGM made them cut from the movie. Because you'll notice, like, I'm going to go into the costuming thing again, because you knew I was going there. Hey, I'm going to bring up the music, so don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) The way that Carlotta was dressed... She was wearing a lot of flowy and she was wearing a lot of chiffon in every outfit she wore, which meant she was mimicking that white dress that Angelique was wearing. So she was going for something a little more like otherworldly without actually going full bore Dracula's hoe nighty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know that's not appropriate, but you know what I'm talking about. I just um, want somebody to make a movie with that title. That's all. <laughs> that's all I want. <laughs> so is it, she was trying. She was trying to mimic the person she loved in gotcha. a weird with the costuming. I could see that with the wardrobe. I, I do like her position in this film. Maybe that's it. It feels less like a, an important character and more and more like a position in the film. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. For me, the problem character in this movie is Tracy. Do not like that character at all. Uh, That's uh, Kate Jackson? Yeah. It's not her fault. Because she's a fine actress. I've seen her in other stuff, but that character was horribly written. And this was her first big feature film. Yeah. They just kind of threw her into something like that. And yeah, maybe she's the Caroline of this film. (laughs) Well, no, because I, I feel like Caroline was kind of written to be annoying. You were kind of supposed to be bugged by her a little bit because she's just kind of a rich brat. Tracy was a female character written by a bunch of guys. Yeah, which... Ned, she she bugged me a lot more than Carolyn ever did. Yeah, that's a thing. That is a thing, which is... I I understand that that's a thing, which is why I'm not going to go on about it, even though I could. Right. Well, and that's, that's something that you and I have talked about in person as well, some issues that we have with Caroline in the series. Is that, you know, you can definitely tell there was a, a lack of estrogen in the writer's room. Yeah. Especially at the beginning. I feel like it does get a little bit better as they go along. But I could see that with Tracy in the film. You know, the thing is, though, is that Tracy's overshadowed so much by, by uh, Selby. Selby's yeah. got such charisma and magnetism. It's hard to see him in a scene with anybody else without ignoring everybody else. Yeah. There were actors on the show that were able to, to match him. I mean... Laura oh, Parker. Sure. Oh, yeah, and when sure. He was, when he was in a scene with Barnabas, like, boom, mm-hmm. that was good stuff. But in this film itself, anytime you see him talking yeah. to Tracy or, or talking to uh, John Carlin's character or Nancy Barrett's character or whatever, you just can't help but just focus on him and everybody else is kind of fuzzy in the background. It's just something about yeah. him in this film. So we started to talk a little bit about things that got cut. So this film runs about, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, something like that. But originally, it ran over two hours. 
And the yep. studio's like, nah, we're going to cut it down. And they just yep. kind of went in and I felt like they hacked it up. They didn't really do a, a great job making the cuts very, I don't know, subtle. <laughs> From what I heard, they went to Curtis and they said, cut out half an hour. You've got 24 hours. Oh, man. Which is why it ended up being butchered. Because, I mean, Dan Curtis isn't going to, especially by that point, he had his style and he had his abilities and he had his talent and he knew what he was doing. So for him to make a movie like that, someone else had to have come in and be all like, nope, just just, just hack it up so we can release it. That's fine. Probably something along the lines of Dark Shadows fans are going to watch it no matter what, so it doesn't have to make sense. Oh, that's too bad. And and they're right. I mean, I probably wouldn't have chosen to watch this out of the blue if we weren't doing something for Dark Shadows and Dan Curtis. Mm-hmm. Only if I'm being completely honest. It's too bad. And supposedly some of the footage has been found, but there's no audio. Yeah. They don't have the sound, which is a big part of it. <laughs> you kind of need that, especially for something like this. So. Well, I would actually like them still to kind of insert it. Because maybe they could make it like an extra on the Blu-ray of like the one that we have now, but just do like subtitles because they've still got the scripts, right? I'm sure somebody does. So yeah, you could put the subtitles on it and make like the, the inserted one an extra on, on the Blu-ray. Cause I mean, as dark shadows nerds, we're still going to watch it that way. I'd still watch it that way. Yeah, we're still going to buy it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, they've, they've got us. They know it. We hate it, but they've got us. Yeah. I, w- when those kind of cuts happen, it's just, it's awkward. It takes me out of it a little bit because, and here's where I'm going to talk about the music. I love the music. I love the musical choices that Curtis has made over the years with his various productions and such. And it's Robert Colbert, again, you know, who mm-hmm. did Dark Shadows, House of Dark Shadows, and so many other Curtis productions. And I love it. And we're in a scene that's about to get cut, thanks to the studio, and it just abruptly ends, and it, it I just jar, it jars me right out of it. I do not like it. <laughs> you know, I just, if yeah. nothing else, I hope a soundtrack album out there exists that does not have the abrupt cuts, because I'd love to listen to it. I think it's great. I mean, yeah, it sounds like Dark Shadows, but there is something just a little extra about the music in this one for me. Mm-hmm. I think part of it's because we never have to listen to the song of the Blue Whale in this film. <laughs> The one song that's on the jukebox there. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I kind of love it too. But, you know, yeah. as as you didn't have to listen to it. There's something just a little extra about this particular uh, score that I enjoyed. What did you think about the end? You know, we talk a little bit about spoilers. And here I'm going to spoil the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Freeze frame newspaper article starts to be typed out for us. What did you think of that? I was all for it. It made complete sense to me and I liked it. I mean, okay, on one level, if we're talking about the show going forward, that's how the show goes forward. Okay. The the curse cannot end. Bad things at Collinwood cannot end if no. it's going to go forward. Uh-huh. And on one level, again, as as the fans, we really don't want it to end. We don't want happy things to happen at Collinwood. We don't. No, not a, no. We kind of pay lip service to wanting it to be that way, but we don't. On another level, Angelique won. Of course she did. Duh. But also, I mean, this is Collinwood we're talking about. The ghosts won. The ghosts always win at Collinwood. That's just how things go. They always win. What I really liked about it is that it faded out 
while the story is being typed up on the screen for us. We didn't get to read the entire article. I mean, we knew what was going to happen in the story. I mean, we got what we needed to know to get the closure we needed on that particular character and the other character. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And as the story is being told to us, it fades out. So it makes you, kind of left me with this feeling of there's more there. I, I want to know more because the newspaper article isn't even done appearing on screen and we're told it's over. I yeah. know there's more here and I wanted to I wanted to know more. And there's that lovely little like crumb of, oh, the book they wrote, The Ghost at Corinth Bend. I want to read that. Yep. <laughs> yep. I want that book. Somebody read that book. Man, if that if this movie had been done for like television in the 90s, somebody would have written that and released it as like an official tie in. Right. Like, uh, with Stephen King's Rose Red. You know, they did the, the diary of whatever character from that and released that in support of the film. I would have loved to have seen that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. I'd read that. I totally read that. Who's got the rights to that? Maybe we should just no. I want to read it. I don't want to write it. I don't want to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could tell a story like this. There's something kind of intimidating that puts me a little off balance when it comes to dark shadows, and I think that's a good thing. This is not mm. the kind of storytelling that I normally do. So yeah. to be exposed to it and to get lost in it the way that I do, and to be so affected when the studio comes in and says snip snip to some scene here or there. I think speaks to the quality of the film, just kind of drawing me in. And I hope it draws other people in. I hope people give this movie a chance. I I don't know how it's fared since its release. It's gotten more attention and more positive reviews out in the world. I I don't know. The people I've spoken to, even like hardcore Dark Shadows fans, just kind of, oh, well, that movie is just meh, whatever. No, they're so wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unless they're a listener of Monster Kid Radio, then, you know, it's okay. But... (laughs) This is a movie that you really have to just let go. Yeah, it's I just, mean, this, it's a Collinwood story. That's it. This this movie, I, I'm going to be honest, it's a hot mess. Mm-hmm. It really is. But if you can just let go of trying to fit it in with everything else, because I'm pretty sure even if we'd gotten it in the form Curtis intended it to be, it would not fit with everything else. So I think people just need to kind of let go of that and just let it be on its own. Because especially, I think the way it was cut, that yeah, it makes things make sense, but it also kind of lends itself towards you filling in the holes yourself and how you think it should go. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Because I never, I've never watched this movie and thought, oh, that's annoying. I don't know that. Oh, that's annoying. I don't know that. I watch it and think, oh, I think this happened this way. Oh, but this other thing came up. So what if this did this and this did this? And he was just because I like to figure things out while I'm watching movies, which is one of the reasons I don't like Giallo. (laughs) We're creatives. We're writers. That's what we do. Yeah. You know, that's what we do. And I could see that, how it would kind of let you fill in the blanks a little bit. Kind of that makes you part of the story, which is effective storytelling 101, as far as I'm concerned. As I said before, as a fan of Dark Shadows, that's what this movie is about because this movie is saying you are part of it, so be part of it. I think something you just said, and it, it got me thinking about this a little bit more. I, I was trying to, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> wow, Derek. <laughs> Eloquence. So, yeah, I know, right? High level podcasting right I there. know, this is how I have all my awards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something you said a second ago goes back to something that I was trying to communicate earlier, and I don't know if I was necessarily successful at it. So I'm going to try again using what you just said. Let 
all of your preconceived notions about Dark Shadows go when you watch this movie, but know that you're watching a Dark Shadows movie. And what I mean by that is that it's almost as if Colin Wood is maybe a brand or, or a line, I suppose, of stories, or, or maybe look at it like, uh, say, like the American Horror Story TV show, where each season has all the same vibes that you get from the previous season, because it's American Horror Story, same creators, but it's a completely different story. And I feel like that's kind of what Night of Dark Shadows does. It's a completely different story, but it's still Collinwood. It's still spooky. There's still ghosts and stuff. It has all the pieces of Dark Shadows that you love, just in a different arrangement. Yeah. Man, I wish I worked more. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Big Finish does like the Dark Shadows proper stories with Barnabas, and I think Burke Devlin turns up in one, and, and you know, some of these other characters, you know, the characters that we know already. Yeah. I would love for there to be another Collinwood story that has nothing to do with any of these guys. Do something totally different. Well, I think, because going way, way back to the beginning, when we were talking about what is it that attracts us to this kind of thing and why do we love it well there was a friend of mine who i asked him about dracula one time because he's a huge dracula fan and i said well, what is it about dracula that you like and he said that dracula is basically a skeleton and you can make him about whatever you want him to be which is why it always works and why there's so many different interpretations but it's still the same character and that i think is something that needs to happen with dark shadows and that Night of Dark Shadows kind of took the first step towards doing. People need to realize that Dark Shadows is, it's a haunted house. It's an empty house full of rooms and every room has a different story. And we've only been, you know, hearing the stories from like the West Wing, but there's an East Wing and there's a Middle Wing and we want those stories too. Yeah. <laughs> I just completely nerded that on like five different levels, didn't I? And that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I like you so much, Dominic. <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. There there are so many other storytelling possibilities with Dark Shadows that it's a shame that we don't have more of them. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle the new new revival. I guess I, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Have Have you heard much? You've been following that. I actually haven't been following it. I'll find out when they show it. It's kind of where I'm at with it. I. I don't know. It, there was that one in 2012 where I went like two episodes or something. So I have like little to no faith, honestly. Did it even go that long? It might not have. It might have only been the pilot. I did not even hear about that until like three years after it had happened. And in 2015, I'm like looking up some person that was that happened to be in it in another movie. And I'm like, what is that? What is that? I didn't even hear about that. There's more Dark Shadows? Yeah, like one episode. Okay. So I, I don't know. I'm almost wondering if the, the people who made it like deliberately sunk it. Oh, wow. Because if I'm not hearing about your Dark Shadows thing, come on, man. Somebody's trying to bury that man. <laughs> <laughs> well, for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, uh, the CW and Warner Brothers are developing what they're calling Dark Shadows Reincarnation. So we'll see what happens with that. I know very, very little about it. Somebody named Mark B. Perry is the executive producer on it with a few other people. And uh, all I know about him is that, yeah, he's a producer. I really don't know anything about any of these other people that are involved. I don't know what the stories are going to be. Mark B. Perry, I'm seeing, did The Wonder Years. Oh, good. One Tree Hill. The Ghost Whisperer. You say that like that's going to mean something to me, but okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
My I grandma was obsessed with that show. Oh, I've, really? Okay. I've seen like every episode of that show because of her. I, I watched the United of the Living Dead episode. Of course you did. So oh, he, was... he did the, the Dolly Parton movie that just came out. He wrote that. Oh. <laughs> Great. On, like Netflix, they're doing a Dolly Parton thing, but yeah. So when something like that happens, I feel like he can go one of two ways. There, there's no middle ground here. He's either going to demonstrate that he knows absolutely nothing about the source material and doesn't care about the source material and does something that's just so far removed from the source material that, quote unquote, true fans are not going to like it. Or it's going to be a surprisingly fresh take because he's not so mired in the continuity and and the background and the canon, which could be great. Like with Star Trek Discovery, for example, you have these people that had nothing to do with Star Trek launch the show and it really polarized people because they had nothing to do with Trek. They didn't. Some of them even said they knew nothing about Trek until they signed on. Mm-hmm. And you've got people that love it and people that hate it. You know? Or people who just don't care, I guess. It's always going to be that way because Dark Shadows is a fandom. And with fandoms, you've always got there's the people who own it. This is my fandom. It should be done the way I want. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And again, going back to the going back to the Star Trek. And of course, we all know about the Star Wars fans who are like that. (laughs) Um, I I don't want to like talk smack about Star Wars fans because I'm 99% positive that any Star Wars fan listening to Monster Kid Radio is not one of the ones I'm talking about. Yeah. But there are some doozies out there. <laughs> and honestly, for me, I mean, you've heard me talk about Batman. Uh-huh. I get that way with Batman hardcore. This isn't my Batman. Stop doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, friend of the show, Tom Doffel, teases me relentlessly because for years I avoided the Marvel films because mm-hmm. I always told him, well, that's not my Captain America. You know, my Captain America yeah. turned into a werewolf once. That's not my Captain America, you know? And he teases me repeatedly. Anytime we see a movie, he's like, well, that's not your insert, whatever the movie is, huh? <laughs> because he's just giving me grief over it because, you know, he's, yeah. he's kind of right. That does become a thing. But the other side of that is that uh, there comes a point where we kind of have to let go because uh, the Dark Shadows revival is actually a great example of that. Because as much as I love that show, it was made with such a 1960s mentality. And just staying so slavishly to just the ideas and the social mores of the original series that it just felt wrong Hmm. now. Because society is different. So it needs to kind of update with that. And yeah, that means it's going to be a little sexier. And yeah, it's going to be more violent. But I mean, the stories can still be good. The stories can still be basically the same. I mean, they can do whatever they want with Dark Shadows. The first arc is still going to be Barnabas coming back. We all know what the first, you know, 12 episodes are going to be. Oh, I'm sure. No, I want the first episode to be about Burke Devlin coming back. <laughs> I know you do. I just love that guy as a character. I know you he's, do. A, he's a terrible person. He is a horrible person. And every time I see him, I want to punch him in the face. But I think that's the point, right? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I just love Brooke. I love Mitchell Ryan. I love the actor playing him. I, I like him in other stuff. <laughs> I, I don't like Burke Devlin. I do not like Burke Devlin. So I want the I want the re- reincarnation to start with like Burke Devlin's grandson, right? Played by somebody who looks just like no. D. H. Mitchell Ryan. 
honestly, if they could find somebody who looked just like him when they were young, I'd give it to you. That'd I be mean, awesome. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome <laughs> to find somebody who looks that close to him. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I mean, it is a soap opera. You've got to have somebody to hate right off the bat. So. There you go. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Barnabas, whatever. Give me Burke. <laughs> oh, man. As long as I finally get my head in the box. The revival never got to the plot line with the head in the box. This one better. <laughs> heads and boxes is my point. Okay. <laughs> Noted. The holidays are coming up. I'm not sure what I'm going to get Dominique yet. She may have just given me an idea. Um, um, I got nothing else. I, I kind of, yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> uh, Night of Dark Shadows. See it. Thumbs up. Monster Kid Radio recommends. Give it a chance. It's good. If nothing else, thanks Angelique because she wears the really pretty dress where she kind of hangs out. So somebody will appreciate that. Laura Parker's great in this, man. She is. She absolutely is. Before we're done here, I'm going to share an interesting tidbit that I found in research of this movie that has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but I still thought was kind of funny. Apparently, the people who made this movie hired Hans Holzer as a, a conceptual consultant for this movie. And Hans Holzer is some, most people believe he's crazy, but he's like the paranormal investigator guy who did the Amityville horror. He was the first one to investigate the Amityville horror. Okay. Where are you going with this? <laughs> I just, I just, that's my trivia question for this movie. Oh, okay. That's my trivia fact for this movie. I just think it's funny that they're like, we want this to be authentic witch stuff. So we're going to hire the, the ghost hunter guy. Why not? <laughs> like, I find ghost hunting interesting, and I actually kind of believe in it, but Hans Holzer was kind of a... Uh, well, when it comes to Amityville, I, I feel like a lot of that was... Yeah, you know, this is turned into a totally different conversation. Yeah. Anyway, that was my trivia yeah, question. Um, I thought that was funny. Which, which goes back to Ray Garten, because he worked with the Warrens to write one of the books. But you know what? Moving on, Night of Dark Shadows. (laughs) See the film. It's good. The music's great. The costumes are awesome. Uh, Watching somebody get hung or hanged, kind of neat in this film. I know that sounds weird out of context, but trust me, the scene's pretty darn cool. Actually, Uh, the hanging was pretty intense, too. Yeah. 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 um, It's a great film. It is. It's awesome. Go watch it. So we talked about your book, your or your short story appearing in the doc. We talked, man, this editing is going to suck. We talked about Behold the Undead of Dracula, which I am in. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the Etsy shop. And we talked about House of Silent Graves, yes. And do you still maintain the blog, the uh, blog that you have? <laughs> the name I forget off the top of my... I am blowing it bad, man. <laughs> I spent two and a half hours on the mic with uh, Rod Barnett this morning. And okay. I just, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> something for his show. I probably made as much sense then. Anyway. Yeah. Do you still blog? <laughs> I still blog off and on at the University of the Bazaar at WordPress. That's it. Yes. The University of the Bazaar. I think there's a permanent link to that site in the permanent link section of our website. But if not, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can check it out. You know, just to kind of keep up with what you're up to when you post things about Ingrid Pitt or whatever. Yeah, I'm still in the middle of my Ingrid Pitt series, so. There are worse things to be in than being well, in the middle of Ingrid Pitt. I feel like, I mean, c- conceptually, I'm going to be in the middle of an Ingrid Pitt thing my entire life. 
There's not much more to say than, well, everything Dominique and I just said about Night of Dark Shadows. Please check it out. I highly recommend it, especially going into it with a different point of view. I think you're going to enjoy it. I enjoyed chatting with Dominique about the film. And, you know, there was another good half hour or so of Dominique and I just kind of riffing about fandom and that sort of thing. And maybe at some point down the line, sometime in 2020, I'll have her back on and we'll talk a little bit more about the fandom of genre cinema and what these things mean to us, the ownership that we sometimes feel that we have over these films and these franchises. I know that goes a little outside of the MKR uh, wheelhouse, I suppose, but it's still uh, kind of an important conversation to have at some point. Of course, you can find Dominique over at the University of the Bazaar at the University of the Bazaar.wordpress.com or her Etsy shop, The House of Silent Graves. Just look up House of Silent Graves over at Etsy.com. Of course, all the links in all the show notes. Dominique, you're awesome. Thanks for doing this. Oh, and uh, by the way, I did some digging. There was a soundtrack album released for Night of Dark Shadows. And House of Dark Shadows. It was all put together on one album. Unfortunately, it is currently out of print. However, I do see some used copies of it going for about $18 on Amazon. You might find it elsewhere cheaper. It's got 50 tracks on it. So, you know, it's a robust collection of music on this CD. If anybody's got any leads on how to get a hold of it good and cheap, well, let me know. This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly. But never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. The curse of the mummy's tomb. A bandage and bone monster stalking the cryptomaniacs who defiled its tomb of terror. And the Gorgon. A she-monster who turns living, screaming flesh into silent stone. It's a two-for-one monster bazaar. Two terrific terrors for the price of one. With the never-before-offered special free bonus. Black stamps. Of your favorite monsters for the first 10,000 people in line. It's the curse, the curse of the mummy's tomb and the Gorgon. He said the Gorgon. Both in petrifying color, you know, they will frighten you. Yeah. Julie! Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the ugliest of them all? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Devil woman! Mirror, mirror on the wall. Ah! Who's the most terrifying of them all? The Countess Dracula. Have I changed so much? As a flower changes from bud to bloom, past recognition. There once was a Countess young and fair, with tender skin and flaxen hair. Countess, how do you keep your looks? <laughs> what secrets in these ancient books? The book! What book? The chapter on blood sacrifices. Please help me. I don't know what's happened to me. Say it, lovely. Say it. Yes. Yes, yes, I love you. Yes. Don't 
Don't you realize that you get uglier each time you get old? And you can't go on killing forever? Why not? That woman embodies all the virtues. Mistress, friend, and mother in one, does such a woman exist? <gasps> you know she does. Do your lovers know how you cling to youth? Dare you tell them the dreadful truth? These walls could tell, but cannot speak of the sudden cry, the muffled shriek. Doby. Where is she? Look at me, Doby. Look at me. And what will your daughter say? She arrives tomorrow, and she'll find you as young as she is. Hold me. No. Blood. Whose blood? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most terrifying of them all? The Countess Dracula. Yuri! Have I changed so much? I don't know what's happened to me. Blood. Whose blood? Devil woman. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to Kenny, Professor Frenzy, Dominique, and you. Thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate having you here and all of your support for all of your honest reviews in the iTunes store and anywhere else you happen to see Monster Kid Radio listed in a podcast directory. Thank you for retweeting the tweets and sharing the posts on Facebook and just being part of the Monster Kid Radio audience. It means a lot to have you guys and gals out there supporting what I do. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You can always follow up with me over at monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about the podcast, links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Twitter, and our Patreon account. Just a quick word about our Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to support your favorite creators on a recurring basis, and we've got a handful of stellar patrons that help Monster Kid Radio out every single month. And it means a lot because it really helps kind of finance the show, keep things going. I don't make any money off podcasting. There's no money in podcasting, really. All the funds that come in from Patreon really just go back into the show, whether it's paying for hosting fees, equipment upgrades, or just kind of keeping me going. Because as you guys and gals know, I'm currently unemployed. I'm taking on a few gigs here and there, but for the most part, all of the money from Monster Kid Radio just kind of goes into either my time or my equipment producing the show. Now, I did put out a post that went patrons only earlier this month, and I want to talk about it here now on the show so that everybody can hear this. Thank you for supporting the show. If I'm being completely honest and upfront and transparent, I've had issues meeting a lot of the reward commitments when it comes to Patreon. I think it's been almost a year since I've issued anything special and I feel terrible about that. And I'm going to have to change how the tiers work starting next year in 2020, probably about mid January, you're going to see a new version of the Patreon. Now you don't have to go anywhere separate. If you're already a patron and you want to remain a patron, you don't have to do anything at all, but over there you will see some changes listed to the rewards, depending on which tier, which you support the podcast through Patreon. I'm going to dial back a lot of the rewards because it's just really difficult for me to get all of this extra bonus content out while still focusing on getting monster kid radio and my other commitments out to everybody like the plan nine by nine podcast and a few other projects that I really want to tackle in 2020 that I think you guys and gals are going to really enjoy. So that said, anybody who is currently a patron of monster kid radio or anybody who has been in the past Thank you so much for all of your support. 
I completely understand if you need to change your Patreon commitment or completely pull it back because of this issue with the rewards and my pulling back almost all of the rewards anyway. I totally understand. I'm not going to take it personally. Just know that anything that you've done to help support the show in this way over the years, thank you. If you have any comments for the show or any feedback, please feel free to send it in to monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail message. Our phone number is 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. I'll make sure there are links in the show notes to everything that we talked about here in this episode. So if you hear us talk about a particular movie or a book or you want to pick up my book, Monster Hunter for Hire, please use the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. It's an Amazon affiliate link, and that also helps support the show with a few cents here and there. Also, there are only six days left in the Santa Claus Conquers Manos, the Hands of Fate Kickstarter campaign. Go back into the archives and find the episode where Steve Sullivan, Anthony Wendell, and I talked about Manos, the Hands of Fate, and how it inspires us creatively. Anthony is writing a novel, and he could really use your support, especially since today is his birthday. And what better way to celebrate Anthony's birthday than to help him out with his Kickstarter campaign less than a week to go, but he still has a lot of way to go to hit his Kickstarter goal. Again, link in the show notes. Let's talk about next week. Next week is the final week of December 2019, and really the final week of 2019 in general. The final week of this decade, really. So we're going to end things, well, with some more Dan Curtis conversation. Stephen D. Sullivan is coming back to the show, and we're going to talk about the TV movie that really was a pilot that got turned into a movie for whatever reason. It really should have been a series, The Norless Tapes. So come back in seven-ish days for episode 451 of Monster Kid Radio. Or is it episode one of The Norless Podcasts? Stay tuned to find out. Thank you to the band The Green Reflectors over at thegreenreflectors.bandcamp.com for allowing us to play their music here on this episode of the podcast. You're going to hear that song Rip Rap in its entirety here in a second, right after I tell you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories is copyright Jerry Green, 2019. And the song Rip Rap is copyright The Green Reflectors. 2018. You can find it on their album Tune Up, which you can purchase online over at Bandcamp for $9.99. That's less than $10 Canadian. You get 14 songs. They're all good. I just happen to really like this one, Rip Rap. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>